Welcome to another episode of the OASBO podcast. I'm communications specialist at OASBO, Callie Wells, and today with me on the phone from the State House, I have OASBO's advocacy specialist, Barbara Shainer. Welcome, Barbara. Thanks, Callie. It's great to be talking with you this morning. And today we're going to be talking all about the budget, which is why you're down at the State House. So just to kick us off, can you give us an update on the most recent activity at the State House around the state budget bill? Sure. Um, It has been a very busy week because things are changing, even as we speak, I believe. Um, The week started out fairly quickly on Monday when the Senate president and his leadership team held a press conference around 11 o'clock and talked a little bit about what they were going to be proposing when they released their version of the budget later that same day. Um, And so there were obviously things that have to do with public education and education funding that were included in the press conference. But we got a little bit more detail later that day when the Senate Finance Committee uh, held a hearing and they officially adopted a substitute version of the bill. So just for uh, our members uh, information. The bill that the House passed a few weeks ago is now, I guess you would say, obsolete. We won't be working from that version from now on. We're now going to be working from the Senate language. And that really, there is uh, quite a bit of difference between the two. And so I'm going to go over some of the things here in a little bit uh, that do affect um, education. But uh, the Senate, again, has had introduced their language that we sent out quite a bit of documentation over the last couple of days to members. So hopefully they got all of that information. Uh, But the bill language was just released yesterday. So we really haven't had time to comb through every piece of it um, yet. But we do know enough of the at least high-level concepts that we can talk about those. But the Senate released their substitute on Monday afternoon. Yesterday was the first round of public testimony. And you can imagine there wasn't very much testimony. I think they only had four or five witnesses because people were still just absorbing, you know, what did the, the Senate do and what were the changes. So uh, today I expect there to be a much longer list of witnesses and um, the, the lobbyists for the three education management associations, OASBO, OSBA, and BASA, uh, we're now talking about whether we want to present testimony on Thursday, which is the last day uh, for public testimony. I did want to interject, too, a little bit about what the uh, Senate president talked about in terms of what they had to do and what they were facing regarding uh, the um, funding or the revenue stream that the state has to work with. Uh, The Senate president started out the press conference by talking a little bit about the uh, revenue situation, the fact that state revenues are down. For this current fiscal year, they've had to downgrade their projections several times. And each time uh, there's a report about how state revenues are doing, it actually seems to be a little bit more disappointing than the last one. So uh, the Senate president said, as we may all remember, that back 
before the House actually voted on their version of the bill, uh, there was a release of information that would show that they needed to cut out about $800 million over the biennium from the budget that the governor had originally proposed. Uh, the House, I think, uh, took care of about $630 million of that, and, it, and our members would probably recall that the House actually increased funding for K-12 education. Uh, but again, they didn't completely fill the hole. So the Senate, when they um, took their shot at the budget bill, um, they were actually needing to find some additional reductions. So I think you'll see a little bit of that uh, when we look at the details of the education budget. Great. Uh, and so what changes did the Senate make to school funding to the school funding formula? Well, Callie, they did make several changes, um, and they'll be significant for some of our districts. And I'll just highlight the changes themselves. Much of uh, what they did retained house, the House version, but there were enough changes that I think uh, we want to cover them. The per-pupil core opportunity aid uh, was reduced from 6020 that uh, the House had proposed down to 6,010 in the first year, and then they retained the 6,020 in the second year. Uh, they kept the transportation funding formula changes that the governor and the House made. Uh, they did, though, eliminate state funding for payment in lieu of transportation. So while school districts will still uh, need to utilize that option, it will be up to the district to pay for that. And I think that the, the uh, minimum there is $250 per student. Uh, but the funding for that amounts to about $5 million over the biennium. That was eliminated. Um, the uh, Senate is changing the uh, threshold for uh, cutting districts that are on the transitional aid guarantee because of declining enrollment. Uh, they're changing that threshold to a two-year look back rather than five years, but they kept the percentages the same. So if you've lost more than 5% enrollment over the past two years, which is FY 2014 to FY 2016, then the um, percentage cuts will start from there. So for instance, if you've lost 6%, you will lose over, over the two-year period, you will lose 1% of your total state aid plus guarantee, so your total amount that you would be guaranteed. So that's a change that actually helped a number of districts. I think in the House proposal, there were about 200, over 250 districts that lost funding as a result of this. And the Senate version, I think, brings that number down to 75. So that's something we had pushed for, and we uh, appreciate that change. Um, the uh, flip side then is the gain cap, and these districts are going to see, uh, some of them are going to see a significant amount of lower uh, projections uh, than what the House had proposed because the Senate is taking the gain cap down from 5.5% down to a 3% cap, and that's for most districts. Um, they did also recognize that if you're a growing district, that maybe that isn't quite as fair as if you uh, would recognize if, if you are growing, you're going to have 
additional costs that maybe some of the other districts didn't have. So they've done a similar thing with the two-year look-back period, 14 to 16, and any uh, percentage growth over that 3% cap, over the 3%, you would get some benefit. Um, So if your district had lost 4%, or excuse me, if your district had gained 4%, uh, enrollment over the two-year period, you would have a 4% gain cap. Uh, now that goes up to 5.5% in 18 and 6% in 19. So those are the maximums you could get. But the percentage is scaled between 3 and 55 the first year and 6 the second year, depending on your enrollment gain over the two years. Um, there were some provisions. There was a provision in the House to help some districts with the TPP losses, uh, but it only affected those districts that were capped and had a net loss in total state aid plus TPP reimbursement. That offset payment is kept in the Senate version, but the Senate also added a provision that says basically you can't lose more than 3.5% in the first year of the biennium, you can't use, lose more than 3.5% of your total resources, which is based on a bigger number than just state aid. It's your local taxes, your, your TPP reimbursement, and your state aid. So if you take all that into account, you can't lose more than 3.5% of that. And those are from FY17. Um, you'll be uh, limited in your loss um, from of the TPP uh, reductions. Uh, there are very similar provisions for the JVSDs um, this time around. The per pupil amounts, the gain cap percentage, and reductions for enrollment loss are the same. Uh, they actually did something for on TPP for the JVSDs that I think uh, for those that still have TPP replacement payments left, they've changed the method for the phase down and I assume this is going forward the way I'm reading it, at least right now, rather than the five-eighths mil reduction that is in current law that was passed about a year and a half ago, um, it's a three and a half percent of the district's total resources uh, would be phased down uh, until the TPP replacement payments are gone. So that's a a recap of the um, TPP, the funding formula, Um, There are some incidental things. I I shouldn't maybe use the word incidental because it's not incidental if you're one of the districts. But it's uh, a separate uh, thing for, we have a a few districts that are actually experiencing an extreme devaluation of their property um, tax base because of electric generation facilities either being sold, going out of business, or just being devalued. And those are primarily the coal-fired and the nuclear-fired plants. Um, and so the House had a provision in that their bill that helped some of those districts that experienced the devaluation in tax year 16, but it didn't go forward to cover the districts that are going to be affected in the future. And we've had several meetings with um, Senate leaders, and I know that they're talking about additional um, assistance for those districts. 
we just don't know where they're going to come down as far as which method they're going to choose to do that. And we may still even see some change in that when it gets down to the conference committee level because they will have to work out the best solution with the house because they'll have to accept it. And I'm sure they're working with the uh, administration as well, because this is a pretty big uh, issue for those few districts that are affected. The other thing that's related to funding is something that we've opposed. And we actually sent a call to action yesterday um, to our members, hoping that they will contact legislators, but there's uh, they included the whole, um, bill from Senate Bill 36 into the budget bill. And what that does is reduce the current agricultural use values. And we're estimating that those values are going to go down statewide by about 30%, which has different consequences for different districts. You know, there it's going to mean a tax shift for property for like residential taxpayers but it also can mean a reduction in funding for districts. But it also, because of the way of our for, way our formula works, the districts that really don't have any agriculture are going to look wealthier than they did before. So they would see state aid reductions. So it's a very complicated matter, and we're still trying to convince um, lawmakers that they should not be passing this change. So I think that pretty much sums up um, the funding issues. There, the Senate did give a little bit more money to the EFCs, not a lot. They raised the per pupil amount by a dollar um, each. So it's up to $26 for high-performing uh, ESCs and 24 for all the other ones. So um, that's pretty much it on the, on the funding side. But as you can see, there are several little details. OASBO members obviously care a lot about school funding formula in the budget, but I'm guessing there, that there are a few other issues in the budget bill they might care about. Can you share some of the um, other issues with our audience? I sure can, uh, and you would be right. There are so many things in this bill that um, affect education that, you know, I'll just try to highlight the ones that I think the OASBO members would be most interested in. Um, one is College Credit Plus, and there's, uh, there were some good things that the governor's uh, proposal contained that I think remain in the bill today. Uh, the one thing that uh, I think we are most concerned about, though, is the bill would continue the current law when it comes to paying for textbooks. This means that um, even though the governor proposed a $10 per credit hour uh, cost for school districts and then the college picking up the rest. The house changed that to a 50-50 split between the school district and the uh, college. Uh, we were at least happy that there was some recognition that this, uh, this cost is uh, not a good thing for school districts and that they shouldn't have to pay those costs. Uh, but the Senate actually didn't agree, and so they took out the House uh, provision and and reverted back to current law. So that was one of the other points that we had sent out to have members make calls about. We really thought that we had been banging the drum on this and that people uh, in the legislature <clears throat> thought that it was sort of an injustice that either 
textbooks were covered before by local agreements where the districts didn't have to pay outright, or parents uh, were paying for textbooks, which is what the normal college um, uh, parent, uh, college student parent would have to do. So we, we think that it's important to keep pushing back on this, and we're hopeful that if the Senate doesn't make a change before they pass their version out, uh, there will be some solution uh, in the conference committee report between the House and the Senate. So that's one of the big issues. Another one has to do with um, the SARS uh, proposals to change the COLA for uh, the cost of living adjustment for retirees. And you may have seen on our website, the members may have seen on our website, that two bills had already been introduced to make that change, it would basically be permissive for the SCRS board to set the COLA with uh, with some parameters. But House Bill 242 actually is having a hearing this afternoon. Senate Bill 151 had a hearing yesterday. Um, but the, the that proposal in its entirety has been put in the Senate version of the bill. So um, that provision is in there. And if that passes, obviously, these other two bills won't be necessary. Um, there are some educational pieces that maybe our members aren't quite as in tune to or, be, or worried about, but, um, the how there was a lot of question as to whether, um, when the house eliminated the Ohio teacher residency program, whether the Senate would put it back in and they have not, at least to this point, um, you know, there are several, uh, there, the, the Senate eliminated two uh, statewide achievement assessments, both in social studies for the fourth and sixth grade. And actually that, I think, was meant to save money. Um, the districts would still be required to teach and assess those um, students on social studies in those grades, but they wouldn't have to do the statewide achievement tests. Uh, then moving on to just some other miscellaneous issues, um, the... Um, there's some kind of a couple strange ones that we saw in there. One was that it prohibits um, school district from requiring written authorization from a health care provider in order to administer sunscreen to a student. Another one was prohibits the use of or possession of any substance containing betel nut, which I was not even sure um, what that was. Uh, but in any area under the control or in any activity of the school district. And then a board would have to adopt a policy providing for the enforcement of that prohibition. And I guess it's a substance that um, has a carcinogen in it. So uh, I didn't even know about it, but apparently it has become an issue for at least some areas of the state. So a couple little oddities. Um, you know, I think that... Um, one other piece that our members might be interested in is that the there's an organization that represents the non-public, the chartered non-public schools, um, and they have been pushing and were successful in getting a provision in the budget that would require ODE to pay auxiliary services funds to directly to their districts. But the, it is only the districts that are not affiliated with a affiliated with a religion. So what used to come through the school district, and the school district then um, arrange for those services, 
the money would go directly to these non-public schools. But again, it would only be those that were non-religious in nature. So that one I'm pretty sure our members would have some interest in. Uh, we were not sure whether uh, there would be support for that. Uh, I know that if what I, one thing I did understand was that if the private school were to go out of business and things were purchased with those funds, the school district would retain ownership. If the money is going directly to that school, um, we know that that then obviously would not be the property of the school district. And I think there was probably an, um, an administrative fee that the district could collect on that. But in any case, if people have an, uh, a concern or a question about that or comments, I'd be wel welcoming those. Um, but... Um, that's pretty much all of the miscellaneous things. Oh, well, one other quick thing. The House had eliminated the requirement for a bid bond for bus purchases, and the, and the Senate kept that in. So that's not a change, but it is something of interest. So with all that said, what can we expect next for the budget process? Well, Callie, I think that uh, it's, things are going to move pretty quickly, at least in the next several days. As I mentioned earlier, the, the um, Senate Finance Committee is going to continue to hold hearings today and tomorrow. And then I know that they're already working on what we know as an omnibus amendment. If you remember, the House did the same thing. What they do is they introduce their substitute bill, hold hearings on that, and then they always make some additional changes. And what they do with that is they have one huge long amendment that has every single change that they want to make. And we know that they're already working on that. Um, in fact, I think, you know, probably by the end of the day tomorrow, if Senate members want to submit something to go in that amendment, it's going to have to be turned in at least by then. M many have already been turned in. And uh, so over the weekend, the Senate leadership will be deciding what is going to be in, what's out. And then next week sometime, we exp and we haven't seen a date yet but or a, a hearing schedule yet, but the Senate Finance Committee will be accepting the omnibus amendment, and then likely they will vote right then as far as the entire bill, and then it will go to the Senate floor. After the Senate uh, votes, which that has been announced uh, to be expected on the 21st, once the Senate votes, then obviously they've made changes from the House. There has to be a conference committee because the House will not likely concur with all the changes. And so then they'll meet behind closed doors um, after the tw between the 21st and the end of the month to come to agreement. Um, and they'll announce what that that final version is going to be, and they have to get it to the governor in time to uh, sign it and have it be effective before the end of the day on June 30th. Uh, and so as we wrap up today, uh, how can OASBO members make sure lawmakers know how the changes in these bills are affecting them and impacting school business? Well, hopefully um, members have been staying in touch with their lawmakers along the way. Um, you know, as an association and, you know, working with OSBA and BASA on a lot of this, uh, we represent every district in the state. So we 
take a big picture view. Uh, we try to point out uh, things that uh, affect you know, groups of districts or if we see certain districts being harmed or something, we try to represent that. But it's only our members who can really tell the story of what their district looks like, what they do with the money that they already get or what they want to do in the future. Uh, and it's only our members who can tell their lawmakers um, what the how the budget impacts their district. And I'm constantly amazed when I sit in hearings and hear some of the few members that come in and testify, tell about their districts, how interested and intrigued the um, Senate or the House committee members are about those details because we really are able to put a face on the money that's going out to these districts when our members come in and describe um, the things that are happening out there. Otherwise, it's more just, you know, we're, we're spending a lot of money and we're not sure where it goes. So it's so important for our members to stay in touch with lawmakers, tell their story, if possible, come in and testify. If nothing else, you know, send letters. Um, and of course, each district may have a different issue. So if I'm a district that is on the gain cap and I see the Senate has gone down to 3%, I certainly want to let um, my lawmaker know that, you know, that's going to cause a problem for my district. So those are the kinds of things that we hope members will participate in. Great. And uh, I know a lot of members have, and we have um, some information on the website. If people would like to see kind of examples of what their colleagues are doing to advocate for their schools. And um, if people want to keep up with this process, they can uh, check out the advocacy page on the OASBO website. And we will keep everyone informed through the e-news and through legislative alerts. Uh, so thank you for joining us today on the phone, Barbara. We'll talk to you next time. Well, thanks, Callie, and I appreciate the opportunity to share information with our members.